0: Good evening, brothers and sisters. Um, It's interesting to have uh, Sister Stephanie to read uh, today's passage. The last time I preached, uh, she read the passage also. Uh, Well, I guess it's not coincident, you know, yep. But today, we are going to look at yet another victory the last time was victory, now another victory, right? But before we uh, go into the word of the Lord, maybe we just open this time with a word of prayer. Holy Spirit of God, speak, for your servants are listening. Amen. Hallelujah. That's There's my slide. Ah, it's working. Okay. Now, today I wanted to share with you the Word of God, um, not for action so much, but more for perspective. I think I want every one of us to see God in a different light. Okay. Last week, the title for today's sermon was Audacious Prayer. Today, I have changed it to audacious God because God wants us really to see Joshua chapter 10 in a different light you know the word audacious has two meaning the positive meaning describes braveness or brevity and boldness courage you know but on the negative uh, definition It describes defiant, challenge. And the use here I put audacious God is a negative meaning. That God is fearless and unafraid to defy even nature if he has to do it. Two weeks ago, we have seen one defeat of Israel at Ai. And the victory that quickly followed up that. This week, we saw yet another defeat at Gilgal. Sorry, last week. Two weeks ago, then last week, we saw yet another defeat at Gilgal in the form of deception. Even though God gave the victory to Joshua and Israel over the five kings. Interesting. When I look at it, Joshua himself deceived the people of Ai. Now, He is deceived by the people of Gibeon. Why do I say Joshua and Israel were defeated by the Gibeonites? Because they could not devote that city of Gibeon to destruction as the Lord had commanded. How long did that defeat last? Very long. In fact, the defeat was rather permanent. Because the covenant established between them was established in the name of the Lord. Even in Jeremiah's time, the Amorites in Gibeon were still around. You can read that in Jeremiah chapter 41. We do not know if God, by God's grace really, that God used Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who has no covenant with the Gibeonites to wipe them out along together with the exile of Israel and Judah. No. But today, I want to share with you what God has placed in my heart for Joshua chapter 10. Now, if you study Joshua chapter 10 seriously, you will notice that many, there are many discrepancies in the chapters. Hey, Wait a minute. Did you hear discrepancies? You might wonder, how can God's word have discrepancies? Well, in chapter 10, we read of Israel having victory after victory over the cities of the land. But then, from chapter 12 onwards, in the allocation of the land, Joshua told the people of Israel, Hey, Claim your land. Drive out the people. And in chapter 10, there was even no mention about Jerusalem being raised to the ground, if you realize that. Not until David's time did Jerusalem fall to Israel. Then you scratch your head. Didn't we read that Joshua already conquered the land with great victory just now? Uh, Steph was reading. Well, if you are still scratching your head, maybe you want to read Joshua again. Right. Now, another unique feature of Joshua chapter 10 is the stationary sun and moon. Okay? Many preachers like to talk about how audacious was the prayer of Joshua that even God had to listen to Joshua's demand. If you look at the picture, I don't think Joshua had horses. Yeah. Right. They probably were on their foot. Yeah. I cannot really bring out any application of this sun-stopping prayer for us to practice today. You know, do we actually have that faith to stop the sun and the moon? Or to send hail upon the earth? In fact, truth be told, I don't think I have that great amount of faith. To stop the sun is really God's prerogative, not mine. No. And if you can stop the sun, please don't. You know, many scientists were disputing about this sun-stopping passage, claiming that it would be disastrous to stop the sun. Obviously, Scripture is not talking about stopping the the sun, but stopping the earth. And it does have natural consequences from the scientist's point of view. Now, so from these unscientific special features, I am reminded that first of all, that God is faithful to his promise. God is faithful to his promise. Today in chapter 10, we see the need for these two spectacular celestial phenomena, the hailstones that kill most of the enemies, and the stationary sun and moon to provide light for Joshua to complete his conquests. Now, if you Google Joshua chapter 10, you will be able to read about the faith of Joshua and the audacious prayer of Joshua. My question is, after two defeats, due to Joshua's failure to consult God, can we then conclude that Joshua's prayer was audacious or that his faith was beyond measure? Well, I beg to defer. I always tell people, well, those of you who have attended my class, you know, I always tell people that when you read the Word of God, the first question that you must ask is, does the passage tell what does the passage tell us about god after all the bible is about god isn't it so when god our creator sets out to do something even if he has to flip the earth upside down to fulfill his purpose he will surely do it in comparison stopping the sun and raining hail It's chicken feed to God, if I may use this idiom to describe such phenomena. In verse 12, we read that Joshua spoke to the Lord. Then, in the presence of Israel, he commanded the sun and the moon to stay still. But we do not know what Joshua spoke to the Lord about. But we can assume that he was telling God, Hey, God, I need more daylight. Please give it to me to fight and complete my conquest. Well, we have not even taken account of the energy that this group of Israelites have in fighting for 24 hours after marching the whole night the, the night before. It seems like stopping the sun and the moon would not be too difficult a request to ask of god isn't it since last week we learned that the battle belongs to god and how good if we can pray for that time you know extended time for those who are taking exams now it's exam period right everybody's stressed (laughs) Now we are reminded in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 11, that what God has spoken, he will bring it to pass. What he has purposed, he will do it. No one can thwart God's plan. Therefore, I tell you that it is God who is beyond audacious to do anything in order to fulfill his promise to Israel and to judge the people of the land. Then another question comes, will God do audacious work again? Will he do that? No, we read in verse 13 that uh, it, it has never done before and it will never be done again. So in Matthew 24, verse so in Matthew 24 verse 29, Jesus said that immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give a light and the stars will fall from heaven and the power of the heaven will be shaken. And in Revelation 16, John records for us that when the seven angels poured out his bow into the air, there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, Peals of thunders and a great earthquake Such as there had never been since man was on earth So great was that earthquake The cities, which is the city of Jerusalem Was split into three parts And the cities of the nation fell Including Singapore And God remembered Babylon the Great To make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath And every island fled away and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, hailstones about one hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. You know, after reading this, we are our mind is just you know overwhelmed with what will happen in Revelation when it come to pass. Then my question is, how many of us weigh 100 pounds? You don't need to tell me. Huh? Actually, for perspective-wise, 100 pounds is about 45 kg. Yeah, the weight of a, a pretty lady. Yeah. Imagine millions and billions of rocks weighing 100 pounds raining on earth. It is really a sight not for the faint-hearted, and we are talking about if we exist during that time. Can you imagine that? Okay. Do you have the faith to believe that none of those stones will touch you? Do you believe that? God is faithful. God, through Isaiah, said that He will do strange deeds and alien works. So, be prepared to see the wonders of God and not be afraid. And for those for whose purpose you think that God is doing all these things, scary things, it is for us to fulfill the promise of His covenant with us may we have that faith to believe in the salvation of our god when we see the earth trembles sometimes we personalize god a little bit too much and turn him into our genie but we must see that god do not work for the individual but to shape world history like never before our perspective of god should be like that of the chinese phrase that says wei zhong. it is about the big picture the big picture okay i'm not saying that god does not deal with us individually he does in fact i'm sure he does hear us when we pray to him but his purpose is not just about us it's about the world God is calling us to see things in his perspective the big picture perspective otherwise seriously we will be the one that is missing out but here is the comfort and that's my point number two that God indeed does listen to us. It is really amazing to note that God indeed heeded the voice of a man at this point. And it does not mean that God has not heeded the voice of a man before. Right? I can give you some examples. God certainly heeded Moses' voice not to destroy the people of Israel in the Golden Calf Incident in Exodus 32. And in Numbers 21, the Lord heeded the voice of the people of Israel to give them the land outside of the common land. So, why is Joshua's voice so special? And somehow it's emphasized over here. At this point, I would like to give you a little background about the ancient Near East culture. Ancient Near East. Those of you who study history, you know what is the ancient Near East culture. You remember just now I was talking about discrepancies that I mentioned earlier? Now that was actually in the the subsequent chapter of Joshua and in Judges, then we will see that actually the land is not completely being conquered. The the inhabitants were not totally being driven out. So why record the victorious conquest when in reality it wasn't true? Non-believers would take this aim okay, and use this passage to say, see, the Bible is not infallible. According to biblical archaeologists, Joshua chapter 10 wasn't actually re- narrating the events surrounding the campaign as a series of facts it was to communicate via some predictable and repetitive uh, structures the inevitable victory of the divinely approved conqueror against his foe of course in this case joshua who was seen like a king or the messiah of israel was that conqueror just in chapter 10 alone the most repeated words Is Joshua's name his name was repeated 32 times of the ancient uh, sorry 32 times including his personal pronoun so if you realize that they are actually chapter 10 is actually following a common narrative of the ancient Near Eastern conquest account and chapter 10 were written for that same reason as other conquest accounts in the pagan nations, they are called they are called the annuals or the stellar of the king. Okay? it is like a king's diary, the record of all his deeds and his speeches. And here we have an annual and a stellar of two Assyrian kings familiar to us. You can see the Bible references. The first one, Tiklaf Pelissa the Great or the first, is a king to whom King Ahaz or Ahaz sought for protection from the king of Israel and the king of Aram instead of trusting God. Isaiah was sent to him to tell him ask whatever you want, God will do it for you. King I said, oh, I won't test God. But he went and approached King Tiglath-Pileser, the Assyrian king, to protect him. The other one is the stellar of King Sennacherib, who laid siege to King Hezekiah and Jerusalem. But he returned home to Nineveh after the angel of the Lord struck down 185,000 of his soldiers. Well, in their annual and their stellar, of course, Tikla Balasa will be recording, you know, his power over the over King Ahaz. and Sennacherib will be recording how he locked Hezekiah, the king of Judah, in a cage like a bird. They will record in their annuals and their stellar with positive news and omit the failure, the defeat, and the setback in the midst of their victory Sennacherib even wrote positively about his setback this is what the cantonese often say if you fall down uh, you must grab some sand you know to pretend that you did not fall you know, Only the cantonese understand ah uh. <laughs> okay For the pagan nation, all this stellar and annuals is meant for propaganda. To prove to you how great the king is, they they don't put defeat, failure, or setbacks in their stellar. It is like your resume. You don't show in your resume how many times you were fired or how many times you were demoted. You don't do that, right? Instead, you show the good things. You show what was your distinctive experience and the valuable skill set that you have. So they are all true, you know. I'm sure you don't lie in your resume. Please don't lie in your resume. (laughs) They are all true, okay. Just not entirely true. Likewise, Joshua 10 was a summary of the truth of the victory of the conquest of the promised land. Joshua 10 is the stellar of King Joshua. Nonetheless, whether pagan or biblical texts, they were true historical account, just not the entire truth. No need to put the defeat. Joshua chapter 10 was not a historical record per se, but it was a kind of summary of the history of the successful conquest they were written to declare the victorious conquest of God. The record of God heeding the voice of a man in Joshua chapter 10 was emphasized here because it was styled in the conquest narrative. I hope you catch me. So, all our prayers actually are audacious. Joshua's prayer was not a special one. God does hear our prayer when we cry out to him in faith. He is not a distant God who left the world automatically spinning on His own and busy himself with something else. In 1 Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says, Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That is, to this present day, Jesus is holding all things together by his power. Without Jesus, everything falls apart. Without Jesus, we will not have a day to live. He is like our maintenance engineer. He maintains this earth and keeps it running. He is not far away, but actively holding the world together. The author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, says Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. So today, when we pray to God, and when he answer our prayer, how many of you ever receive answered prayer? Ah, that's a lot. You see? Didn't he heed your voice? He did, right? right? So, God does heed our voices and the most important thing that i want to bring across to you is that we must operate within god's plan if we walk out of his way then we may not have experienced his victory in our lives so don't pray audacious prayer if you are not living your life right before before god No prayer will work if we mind our own business and leave God to mind His own. We have to partner God in all His works. Micah 6 verse 8 says, Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. We are to walk with God in our humility, not God walk with us and follow us like a servant where he trod know what is his will for your life i'm sure he will hear us when we cry out to him you may think Ayah, we cannot give our own personal request to god ah. hmm? well israel bargain with god for even land that is outside of his promise so think about it but i think what is important here is that our attitude should be like Daniel's three friends Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah okay if you don't they don't sound familiar to you then you, you can call them by their Babylonian names Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego they held on their faith in God regardless of whether they will be delivered or not okay my last point is this. This victory in Joshua chapter 10 is actually a picture of the victory of Jesus Christ in his second coming. Do you know that Joshua was not his original name? Do you know that Joshua was not the original name of this son of Nun? How many of you know? Well, nobody raised our hand. Everyone else don't know. <laughs> Joshua's name was Hoshia from the tribe of Ephraim. Numbers 13, verse 8. And he was, as you know, is one of the 12 spies who went out to scout the land, the promised land. You must be wondering, how come I know, Right? how did I know the name changed? i tell you is very interesting tommy is the one who told me that yeah tommy knows very a lot of things you can ask him he's a walking dictionary i was discussing with tommy about the significance of a name change usually when god changes a name it is very significant for example abram's name was changed to abraham from exalted father to father of many nations. And that was what God made him to be. Jacob's name was changed to Israel from a supplanter who robbed his brother of his birthright to God strives and persevere or persevere. Indeed, God through history had been striving and persevering against the nation of israel even until today i hope he doesn't need to strive with us so again we come back to the question what is that significant about joshua's name change joshua was a name changed by moses not god according to numbers thirteen sixteen. we do not know if god told moses to change his name but moses did not say that you know and scripture did not tell us which means not important nah. by the way Hoshea's n- mean, name means salvation and joshua's name means the lord is salvation i'm sure this one you really know jesus's name in hebrew is also called joshua Coincidence? maybe not i don't think that's coincident in scripture indeed jesus is the lord's salvation for us as we are as i was preparing this sermon i asked god hey how can i preach this passage joshua 10 records the israel's victory now if there is victory everything must be correct right then what is there to say as I mentioned earlier, Joshua chapter 10 were like an annual or a stellar of a king in ancient Near East culture. And Joshua was a type of Messiah for the people of Israel. He was a king to the tribe of Israel. Moses saw Hosea as the king or Messiah of Israel, not because Hoshea can fight a battle, Moses saw Hoshea as a physical Messiah representing the Lord in bringing salvation to his people Israel by conquering the promised land remember two weeks ago I mentioned that the battle belongs to the Lord we sang it just now in chapter 10 it is not about Joshua the son of Nun in chapter 10 is the stellar of the true messiah of israel jesus christ in hebrew called yeshua Hamashiach. in him is the salvation the lord program jesus does not need a stellar or an annual as a propaganda he is king of kings and lord of lords the king of the ancient year is covered the hiccups and the failures only to show you their might and their victories. But when Jesus returns, his stella will be established with every truth written in it. Indiscreet. There will be no hidden secrets of failure. His stella will be a stellar of truth. If you replace Joshua's name with Jesus' name in Joshua chapter 10, the emphasis is very clear. The repeated keywords 32 times is none other than Jesus Christ. In other words, Joshua chapter 10 is about Jesus. He will have victory over the kingdom of this world. He will have victory over the Antichrist. He will have the victory over Babylon the Great, as we read in Revelation 16 and just now as you hear me recite Revelation 16 the way Revelation described the destruction of the world when Christ returned is nothing short of what God told Joshua to do what did he tell him to do dedicate the cities to total destruction haram and this time it will be to dedicate the world to destruction when christ come again if you want to know what will happen to this world when christ return study the book of joshua i quote i've quoted isaiah 46:11 earlier that what god has purposed, he will do i love isaiah 46 It's my favorite chapter. In fact, a few verses before 11, in Isaiah 46, 8 to 10, God through Isaiah said, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. He's referring to the people of Israel who deserted God. He says, remember the former things of old. Okay, you're supposed to remember the things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient time, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. My friends, right from the very beginning of time, God has shown what the future will be. From ancient time, including Joshua's conquests in the Old Testament, he has told us that things not yet happened. So don't think that the Old Testament is bygone. From the Old Testament, you can understand what the future will be. Like Moses' tabernacle, the Old Testament is a shadow of the real things to come. History will repeat itself. This is the purpose of God. Are you prepared for the return of Jesus Christ? Let us pray. Almighty God, you are indeed almighty. Through the story of the Old Testament, you are telling us what you will do in the future. Indeed, in Isaiah 46, you have called us to remember the former things of old, for you are God, and there is no other. You are God, and there is none like you. Declaring, declaring from the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done saying that your counsel will stand and you will accomplish all your purpose. Indeed, Lord, salvation belongs to you. We look forward to your return to bring victory for your people. And we want to thank you that we can always call on your name because you will hear us as long as we walk humbly with you. And you will be faithful to fulfill your promise to us. So come, Lord Jesus. Amen.